Thanks, Matt. Um, well, so, hello, nice to see you all. Nice to be here. Um, we are going to talk tonight about um, doctrine. So as, I, as I've been studying and reading through First um, Timothy, Greg is on board with this. As I've been reading through First Timothy, the, a theme that has really kind of emerged for me or keeps hitting me as, as we move through the text is this idea of uh, doctrine. And so Paul kind of exhorts Timothy over and over again, um, you know, guard the church against false doctrine or false teaching. Um, you know, don't pay attention to vain jangling or like vain babbling or whatever. You know, like he kind of keeps hitting at this idea of like avoid or guard against false doctrine and then teach these things, like teach the good things, you know. So that theme kind of really crystallized for me. I thought I would focus in on it, dig, dig in on it this week. Um, I wish that I had another week to dig on, dig in, in on it as I keep kind of thinking with thinking about it or wrestling with it, it just feels like there's a lot more there. So um, anyway, this is kind of the results, maybe preliminary results of my study. So, um, anyway, hopefully there's something in here that will be useful for you. Um, I should say, last time that I taught, Dr. Reitz said it was like drinking from a fire hose. Um, and so if Dr. Reitz is saying that it's like drinking from a fire hose, you know that it's that it's too much. So <laughs> I am, uh, hopefully it will be better organized than me. I was going to try to work ahead and make like handouts or do like slides. That didn't happen. So sorry. Anyway. All right, let's talk about doctrine. Um, a kind of key text that I'm thinking about here is um, 1 Timothy 1.3. This is Paul's kind of initial charge to Timothy in the letter. I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightst charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So that's kind of from the from the get-go at the beginning of the letter, there's this teach no other doctrine um, that's kind of um, underlying this. So um, what what do you think of when you hear doctrine? What does that call to mind for you? Teaching? Yeah. Pharisees, yeah. Scribes and Pharisees, yeah. Theology, good. Controversies. Controversies, great, yeah. Does anyone have a favorite doctrine? <laughs> the Trinity, doctrine of the Trinity. I knew Arthur would have a doctrine for me. Anyone else favorite doctrines? Salvation by grace. Salvation by grace, right, good. Okay. The church as Christ's body, good, yeah. Um, so we have these uh, these uh, true teachings that are true. They're from the Word, and they're, they are the Word, um, and, and they're, they're they're true and they're good, and those are good doctrines. What about false doctrine? What comes to mind when you hear false doctrine or other doctrine? Heresy. Heresy. Do you have a favorite heresy? <laughs> What's your favorite heresies? <laughs> I won't repeat that. <laughs> Does anyone have a favorite heresy? I know Arthur does. <laughs> Which one is the most terrible? It's just like the terriblest of the terrible. 
Okay, and remind us quickly what that one is. Yeah, great. So that's a it's it's an other doctrine, an other teaching, right? Like it's not consistent with the word of God. Okay, so um, what I'm fishing, you you have I think I've caught what I'm fishing for in this discussion portion here. So when I I think when a lot of times as I was approaching the text, when I read doctrine, I was thinking, okay, what are the complex sophisticated spiritual ideas that Paul is talking about here, right? Um, when, when he says other doctrine, don't let people teach an other doctrine, like what are the complex spiritual, like sophisticated theological ideas that he's talking about? But as I was reading it, I, I think it's actually not as complicated as I thought it was originally, and I think what he's talking about here with doctrine and other doctrine is actually a lot more practical. So that's I've, I've tipped my hand, my my thesis tonight, my main point tonight is that um, the, the doctrine, the teaching, or the other teaching that Paul is concerned about here um, is actually, I think, primarily about just like normal, practical, life together kinds of things. It's not about, there, there certainly are some complex spiritual ideas going on in First Timothy, and we'll talk about those in a second, um, but I think it's actually not as much about kind of complex theology, philosophy, you know, those kinds of ideas, as it is just like, how do we live our lives together as a body, as the body of Christ? Um, okay, so let's talk through this. My, my roadmap, um, hopefully we stay on the road, um, is to look at what Paul is saying to Timothy about doctrine, uh, think about what it means, like what Paul means by doctrine in the context, and then see if we can make some applications to our own church, like what if Paul was writing a letter to LCF, you know, to Billy, the elder of LCF, like what would that letter look like? What kinds of things would he be charging us to, what kinds of other teachings or other doctrines would he be charging us to avoid? Okay, are we on track so far? Um, so, oops, I've lost my place. Okay, we're talking about um, Doctrine. So we're going to start, and I'm just going to work through a few of the key passages where he talks about doctrine, and we're going to talk through some of the terms that come to play, and I will share some of the thoughts that I have after studying these, um, and hopefully they'll be worth something. Okay. So first, First Timothy one three through seven. Um, we read the first part of this earlier. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightst charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, or love, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. So a couple terms that I want to just highlight and emphasize for you here. Um, one, he says uh, fables. Um, there's this fables idea here. That fables uh, is the Greek mythos, and it literally means like stories or narratives. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, beware of these fables or these stories or these narratives that are not from the word of God that might cause you to swerve aside from the, the truth of the, the, the real true doctrine. He also says endless genealogies. 
Um, I looked around and tried to figure out what he's talking about with these endless genealogies, and it, it seems, I mean, I'm not like a Bible scholar, um, but it seems like uh, it's a little bit controversial what he's talking about here. Um, some people say he's talking about some Gnostic ideas of these genealogies of these spiritual beings called eons, of which Jesus was one, so that's kind of one maybe potential complicated idea. Anyway, it seems like a pagan, non-Christian idea that maybe some people were being concerned about. Other scholars say that the genealogies are kind of like the standard um, Jewish genealogies, like the ways that they were really careful to keep track of their descent or their lineage, and they thought very highly of um, their descent or lineage, so that's kind of another idea. Um, regardless about what exactly he's talking about here with genealogies, uh, it does seem clear uh, that Paul feels like uh, they're leading to questions, just questions. Um, and it's causing people to, to be distracted from or turn aside from the truth, the, the real doctrine, or the good doctrine that people, that they should be focusing on. Um, it's ministering questions rather than godly edifying. Uh, so this seems to be one kind of key element for discerning whether something is good doctrine or other doctrine, is whether it's ministering questions or whether it's building the church. Okay. Um, another thing here he says, another term is this vain jangling. Um, that is basically like empty talk or vain talk. Um, so kind of people babbling without like actually saying anything of substance. Um, hopefully that's not what's happening right now. Um, and then he also says, desiring to be teachers of the law. Uh, Matt kind of explicated this this morning at men's meeting. I really appreciated that. Um, there's, there is something um, appealing about being a teacher. Like there's something maybe prestigious or something about that. Uh, and so people maybe desire to be a teacher, to be seen of by others as a teacher. Um, and so they're kind of pursuing that office or that role or whatever without actually knowing um, what they're teaching about, right? So there's this, this kind of emptiness in, in that as well. The teacher of the law there, that word is the same word that's used of like the scribes and Pharisees and rabbis. So um, Catherine, like you mentioned earlier, um, this idea of doctrine being associated with kind of the Pharisees, it would be similar there. Um, okay, that's the first passage. Next passage, so this is 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. The Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving, of them which believe and know the truth. So this, in this text, or this passage, there's this, um, Paul talks about these spiritual forces that are at work to waylay members of the church um, and try to, try to get them to swerve aside, right? There's this explicitly spiritual component to this. Doctrines of devils and seducing spirits uh, that are actually going out and trying to dissuade people or distract people from the truth. Um, I'm a little bit unsure what's going on with the forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from certain foods. That's kind of weird. Um, Matt was talking about it earlier also, so I'm going to steal from his text there. Uh, and he suggested that it was maybe part of a Gnostic idea that whatever happens to our flesh doesn't really matter. All that matters is the spirit. That's, that's kind of a, a Gnostic idea that was becoming popular. Uh, 
around in the culture of the early church. So um, that's quite possible what's going, quite possibly the idea that he's addressing there. Um, but again, um, regardless of like the specifics of that, whatever the forbidding to marry is or whatever the commanding to avoid certain foods is, um, they are uh, other teachings that are, are dragging people away or distracting people from the truth. Um, and they are, uh, the fruit of those teachings, right, is this dishonesty, they're teaching, they're speaking lies and hypocrisy, um, and they have a seared conscience, which I think is a really interesting language, especially in contrast to that first um, passage where um, Paul says that love is the end of the commandment, and that proceeds out of um, a good conscience, right? So the seared conscience is kind of in contrast with that. Um, okay, so what else can we say about other doctrine at this point? Um, and, and at least in this case, um, this other doctrine is being applied to um, try to get people to change their um, daily lives in a way, like saying that you can't eat certain foods, saying that you can't um, be given in marriage, those kinds of things. They're, they're trying to change um, or constrain uh, the kinds of things that the people of God can do. Um, okay, next passage, 1 Timothy 4, 6-7. through 7. Um, If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, learned to you have attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Um, so again, here this, this word fable is the, is the same word um, used for story or narrative. Um, and I'm going to highlight that. It's not, I think fable doesn't sound um, like a sophisticated spiritual idea, right? I think that's really significant. Paul is saying, you don't only have to worry or look out for the heresies um, about, you know, whether you're saved by grace or by works, or whether Jesus was completely both, both completely God and completely man. Like, those are really significant, kind of complicated spiritual ideas. Yes, you have to worry about those and look out for those. But you also have to look out for these fables, these stories, or these myths, or these narratives uh, that can also shape and form in a way that's not uh, consistent with the Word of God. Um, okay, we'll talk more about that in a second. Okay, First Timothy 6, 3 through 9. If any man teach otherwise, again, this idea of other than the, the true doctrine or the good doctrine, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdrawal is But godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, and, and goes on from there. So here, I think, you know, Paul is explicitly saying uh, that good doctrine is the words of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also good doctrine is teaching that um, gives rise to or that supports um, godliness, right? So good, the good doctrine is associated with godliness, and this other doctrine is associated with this whole list of kind of terrible things, right? Um, this other doctrine or teaching otherwise um, again, Paul says it leads to questions, this idea of endless questions. Um, and, you know, and maybe I'll, I'll put a pause right there and say, 
I think the questions are really good and we should ask questions. And I think that God is able to like address or handle our questions, right? So we shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. The kinds of questions that Paul is talking about here are these like endless questions or, or meaningless questions or kind of vain questions. Um, I always think, um, always whenever I think about questions in the Bible, I always think about what Billy, how Billy says that the Bible is like Jeopardy. Uh, it has the answers um, and you have to understand what the right questions are. Like it doesn't have answers to every question that you might possibly want to ask the Bible, right? You have to kind of come to the Bible understand that the Bible has answers, and then kind of figure out what the right questions are. So avoid the endless questions or the vain or meaningless questions. Ask God your good questions, you know, your true and sincere questions. Um, but this other doctrine and the other teaching kind of gives rise to these endless questions. Strife, this kind of argument, um, idea, uh, railings, disputings, um, a lot of these words are related to this idea of um, endless questions, arguments, and, and disunity. So that's another fruit of this other teaching or other doctrine. And then First uh, Timothy 6.20, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Um, so again, like this is the very end of the book, and Paul is again telling Timothy to avoid these vain babblings, this, this vain talk um, or empty talk. Uh, science so-called here. I was got a little bit excited because I'm a scientist and I was like, oh, what, is this, what does this mean, the science so-called? Um, and it's maybe not science, like in the sense that we think of science, so I wanted to also mention that. The word there is gnosis, which is just kind of a general word for knowledge. So it's not as much like scientific knowledge specifically, it's just knowledge generally. So again, like the idea of people claiming to know something and like speaking out of that like supposed knowledge um but it's, there's no knowledge there there's no actual understanding there it's it's a false or like an empty um knowledge it's the same idea as um the teachers of the law who don't actually understand it right okay so summary to summarize some thoughts here i think there's there we can maybe think about these words or terms or phrases that paul is using to describe this other teaching in, a, in what I have, I've, I've put together four categories to, to think about these in, which maybe will be helpful, and if it's not, then forget it. So one is false or misleading teachings. I think that's one thing that he's talking about here. Um, people who are specifically trying to teach, like doctrine, um, but their teaching is actually wrong, and is either maliciously wrong or ignorant, like wrong out of ignorance, right? I think both of those things are at play here. Myths and fables, again, I think uh, what, I'm, what I'm really thinking about there is this idea of narrative and how uh, cultural narratives or cultural ideas um, can be a total distraction or cause us, cause us to swerve away from the truth. I think that's really important, um, and we'll come back to that. Um, vain, jangling, or empty talk, I'm thinking about as like popular ideas or trends or like fads. Um, so it might be something that a lot of people are thinking about or talking about now, but in 20 years, it's going to be gone. Like it's vain. It's empty. There's no, there's no substance there. It's not going to last. Right? It's not going to be. It's not going to last to become a, a, a myth or a, a fable, even. Right? Like it's just a, it's just vain and empty talk. Um, I think there's lots of those out there, and, and we can get caught up in in, those, in that kind of vain conversation. Um, so it's some, definitely something to be 
concerned about. Um, and then endless questions. I, I kind of threw this endless questions uh, category in there because a lot of what Paul is talking about here is these other teachings are giving rise to these endless questions. Um, and sometimes it's not like somebody is trying to teach you something different. They're just caught in this endless questioning about something and they never really um, come to an end. They never come to the end of it. It's endless. Um, and, and so it's not as much that they're trying to kind of swerve the church away um, with with some false teaching or, or some, some such, they just um, are caught up in this endless questioning and that is a, is a distraction. Um, so again, these false teachings um, lead to kind of argument and disunity and they don't build up the church. That's one characteristic that we see um, from First Timothy on this. Uh, they're also associated with these like inappropriate demands or requirements on the people of God, so that forbidding to marry and the forbidding to or commanding to abstain from certain foods, that seems like an inappropriate demand or requirement on the members of the community. Um, and then in some cases, there's this like teaching of the law thing that's going on, and that kind of seems like um, uh, like in other places where Paul describes how some uh, members of the Jewish community were coming into Gentile churches and trying to get them to follow um, uh, mosaic customs and laws. Um, and so that, that kind of, uh, that may be a stretch. We know that that happened in other churches, other Gentile churches. Um, it seems like that teaching of the law thing that, that Paul's talking about is similar to that, that kind of idea or process. So those are some thoughts on false doctrine that we can extract from the text right here. Um, good doctrine, the end of the good doctrine is love, and that proceeds from a pure heart, a good conscience, and unfeigned faith. And Billy talked about that um, in much greater detail a couple weeks ago. Um, this good doctrine leads to building up the church. That's the fruit of, of good teaching, is, is that the church is built up. Um, and it is associated with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in godliness. Uh, so the fruits of good doctrine are the church is built up, um, people will walk together in godliness, um, and love. Those are, those are the ways that that is kind of characterized. So we've got some commentary, we've got some ideas about what good doctrine is and what this other teaching is or other doctrine is, but I'm still a little sparse on the details, like what exactly is this other doctrine that, it, that people are teaching, you know, and what exactly is like the things that we should be teaching, you know, what are these, doc these doctrinal ideas? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing my study of the doctrine, I come to the end of it, and I'm like, well, what are these doctrines? You know, I'm, just, I'm kind of missing what these doctrines are. So let's go back through the, the book and see what these doctrines are. As I went back through the book, I'm, I was struck by how much of the book was just kind of admonitions and exhortations about fairly simple, everyday kinds of things. So that's what I wanted to do next, is just kind of walk back through the book and highlight how a lot of it is just focused on everyday um, life together things. So first, in chapter two, um, and we, uh, I think um, Billy taught on this prayer, and prayer for all men, especially all in authority, out of chapter two. Um, I think that emphasizes um, proper submission to authority and a right heart or attitude towards all men whom God would have to be saved, right? Uh, this command um, to pray for all men, and especially those in authority. Um, prayer is spiritual, but it's kind of like a, an everyday thing, right? Um, it's not a complex theological idea. It's, you know, you pray for the, all of your leaders, you pray for all men um, every, you know, every day. 
next in chapter two is exhortations about women. Um, and again, that passage, I'm not gonna try to um, exegete that passage. It seems a little complicated. Um, but uh, a lot of that passage, again, seems to kind of emphasize um, proper submission to authority and just right relationships. Like, okay, so you're a new Christian, you're, you know, you were a Gentile, and now you're a Christian, um, how should you behave? Like, what does this life together in the church look like, right? So it seems like Paul, the older pastor, um, sharing some uh, admonitions or exhortations or advice with Timothy, the younger pastor, about how to pastor his church of new disciples into behaving within the church with one another, right? Um, again, not a super complicated spiritual or theological idea. Um, it seems uh, much more about life together kinds of stuff. Um, next, uh, in chapter three, qualifications for elders and deacons. Um, a lot of these, you know, qualifications come down to responsibility, um, reliability, reputation, both within and without the church, self-control, and relationships, like what are the relationships that the elders and deacons have? What do their families look like? Um, those are very practical, mundane kinds of things. It's not a, um, can your elder or deacon pass a theological test? Like, can they, you know, answer all of the questions the right way? Um, yes, they need to be able to teach. Um, that's, you know, certainly uh, one of the qualifications for the elders is that they can rightly, you know, teach the words. So that's definitely part of it. But a, a major part of it is, well, what's their family look like, you know? Um, which, again, to me, it's like, I, now, I'm saying it's not super spiritual. I believe that it is super spiritual. It's deeply spiritual. But it's not just, like, it's not deeply spiritual in the way that we oftentimes think about spiritual things, which is this kind of, like, abstract, non-physical um, theological kind of space, right? It is deeply spiritual in a deeply practical and everyday kind of mundane, relational way. And that's my point. Again, um, hopefully that's coming out. Um, okay, next in chapter five, uh, Paul gives Timothy instructions about how to exhort other believers. So he says, talk to older men and treat older men like fathers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and um, and so on, right? Like it's kind of how should you as a pastor relate to people in these different stages of life um, and so on. It's a very simple, practical kind of guidance. Um, next in chapter five is instructions about widows. Um, and a lot of that is also very practical, right? Um, you know, who is this person, the, you know, the widow that you're concerned, considering whether the church should take care of or not? Um, how have they lived their life? Um, and, and so on, right? Like, it's not um, a complex theological idea. And then in chapter 6, exhortations about servants and masters, right? Like, how should servants relate to their masters? You're a Christian now, like, does that mean you don't have to obey your boss anymore? Like, you can do your own thing now? Um, Paul's like, no, the servants should honor their masters, right? So there's still this um, very practical kind of uh, work sort of relationship that's at play there. Um, any questions? How are we doing so far? Okay. Hanging in? Okay. So, if I can kind of summarize that, I think uh, what, what seems to be emerging for me as I'm, as I'm working through this is like, um, a lot of what Paul is 
teaching about here, a lot of the good teaching that Paul wants Timothy to pass on to the church is about how women and men should behave in the church, how uh, we should both rightly respond to or relate to people in power or people who are in authority, um, about church leadership, how the church should be structured and led, what those kinds of people should be and how we ought to relate to them. Um, he is talking about uh, relationships, like how should I relate to um, older women or you know younger women or um, older men and younger men, right? Like these are just very basic kinds of relationships within the church. Um, and how uh, servants should relate to their masters. That's, that's kind of analogous to how you as an employee should relate to your boss, right? Um, so all of these things are very practical, everyday kinds of guidance. Um, and they're not as much complicated theological ideas. Um, so I think, to me, maybe the, the aha moment in this was, okay, so there's not this complicated doctrine that I'm looking for, that Paul is teaching, and there's not this complicated other doctrine that I'm looking for, that Paul is saying, watch out for this other doctrine, right? Um, it's actually like, uh, the other doctrine then seems like it's, other ideas about these simple everyday things that can cause us to just to, to swerve from the truth and swerve from the right teaching about how we ought to be doing these simple everyday things and that kind of is a little bit uh that struck me a little bit you know i was, I was like wait a second um are there other ideas about how women and men should relate to one another in the church that could be problematic like from the culture and so on Yes, I think so. Are there other ideas about how we should relate to authority? Um, yes, right? Are there other ideas about how servants or you know employees should relate to uh, their bosses at work? Yes, I think there are, right? Um, so that's what kind of is capturing me as, as, I'm, as I'm continuing through this study. Um, in my next section of notes, I went ahead and pulled scriptures from other of Paul's letters, and I don't think that I've worked through those, um, but I will gladly share these notes if anybody would like them. Uh, the gist of those other things is just that this is like a consistent pattern in Paul's letters. Um, he tells whoever he's writing to, so like in 2 Timothy and in Titus, you know, there's similar pastoral epistles where he's writing to pastors and trying to give them specific advice for how to pastor their churches. In those letters, he's saying a lot of, this, of similar things, like you know, avoid uh, other teaching, um, make sure that you teach these things, and almost always when he says teach these things, it's about like everyday, practical, um, life together kinds of things. Right? So that's kind of consistent across Paul's letters. I'm not just, I don't think that I'm making it up. Um, so anyway, you can go back and look through those scriptures as well and, and, and check me on it. Uh, I'll just quickly give you the references maybe, uh, and you can jot them down if you want. So I looked at Ephesians um, 5, 6, 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 18, 2 Timothy 2, 23, 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 17, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, Titus 1, 7 through 14, Titus 2, 1 through 15, Titus 3, 8 through 11. Um, and again, in almost all of these, there's this kind of idea of other, yes? <laughs> um, I will, I will uh, just email you the notes. Yes, I have the whole list of them in the notes. 
Um, so anyway, sorry, that was maybe not fruitful. Um, the point being, right, like throughout all of these other passages and these other letters, Paul's doing the same thing. He's saying, avoid these other teachings um, and teach these things. And the, these, these things are almost always uh, not complicated spiritual ideas. They're very basic things about how we ought to relate to one another in the church. Um, okay, so. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left. I wanted to take some time to make applications, so uh, help me out here. Um, again, I'm thinking about um, these other teachings, this other doctrine, as false or misleading teachings, um, which might be explicitly in the context of the church. Um, myths and fables, again, like stories or narratives that are maybe out in the culture that are coming in through some way. Um, that those ways might be Disney, it might be um, movies that you watch, or books that you read, or video games that you play, or I don't know, maybe social media or something, right? Like it could be those myths or fables come from many places, right? Uh, those narratives, those cultural narratives are coming from many places. It could be music that you listen to, right? Um, okay, next, uh, I'm thinking about popular ideas. This is that empty talk or vain general. Um, so, you know, what kinds of things or ideas are trendy or um, seem popular? Um, and, you know, we can talk maybe more about those in a second. Uh, and then endless questions. Um, so what are, what are like the endless arguments that people are trying to kind of suck you into, right? I do actually think of Calvinism as one of those, if I can, if I can say that. <laughs> on the record. Um, I remember as a kid being really interested in like debating Calvinism. I had a friend who was a Calvinist, and it was just like, our thing was to debate Calvinism, right? you know, and I was, uh, as, as I have gotten older, I'm not, I'm not that old, but as I've gotten older, um, like, people have been arguing about Calvinism for hundreds of years, right? They're gonna continue to argue about Calvinism for hundreds of years. It's not a fruitful conversation, right? Like, it's not a fruitful, it's one of those endless questions kinds of things. Um, so anyway, I think that's, that was my example of that. Um, I had a few specific thoughts about how, or ways, um, in sectors of our life, in which these, these myths or fables or like other teachings might seep in, and I wanted to just throw those out there for us to consider together. So one of them, um, that Paul is talking about in this letter is, is how employees should relate to their bosses. Um, I think that one is maybe readily relatable since many of us uh, work for bosses, you know, um, and we have that relationship. You can kind of call to mind um, how you relate to your boss. You might call to mind how your coworkers relate to your boss. Like, what is the uh, culture in your workplace um, around that employee-boss relationship? Um, and so, you know, as a, a, a teacher at UK, um, so in a sense, I'm like the boss of my students, right? Uh, in a sense, so, you know, and, and my, you know, that student-teacher relationship is kind of analogous. Uh, and so I hear from my students um, how they are relating to other teachers. They don't as much unveil that to me, right? Like they kind of um, put on a good show when, when they're in my classroom. Um, but I hear what they're saying about other teachers. Um, what kinds of things do you think they're saying about other teachers? There's that conversation. Unfair. Unfair? They're unfair? 
Their tests are too hard. Too much homework, right? Yeah? I'm not trying to look at any students. And then you might, you might be feeling called out. Right? They, they, they give you too much homework. Um, and other, any other thoughts? Incompetent in some way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. Like that was a terrible reading, right? I had a student tell me in class yesterday, this reading was just poorly written. And I was like, well, I'm sorry that you think that, but as it turns out, Flannery O'Connor is actually a well-regarded American author, right? Like it's, it's like, I'm sorry that you didn't like this reading by Flannery O'Connor, right? Um, but as it turns out, she's like a, like a well-respected, you know, like it's, it's one of those, the, you don't judge the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa judges you kind of things. Anyway, um, so they might complain about the readings. This reading was too hard. I couldn't understand this reading, you know. Um, or they might say, the work was too much. Uh, I hear a lot of times, I don't need this for my career. I don't need to know this. Why do I have to take this class, right? Um, so I would maybe say all of those things are like, it's just complaining. It's, it's complaining, it's a culture of complaining about whatever, right? It's not um, submitting to the authority of your boss. Um, I would say the Bible would say, the Bible says, um, you should submit to the authority of your boss and do what your boss tells you to do. Unless your boss is telling you to do something that's illegal, in which case you should not do that, right? Um, but for the most part, you should submit to the authority of your boss Honor your boss and do what your boss is telling you to do. Uh, what does that look like for a student-teacher relationship? Well, you should, you know, submit to the authority of your teacher. You should, you know, at least give your teacher the benefit of the doubt that they are doing what they're doing out of good, in good faith. You know, like there's maybe certainly the exceptions. Um, one won't be named. I'm looking at Matt. He knows maybe who I'm talking about in a certain department at UK, um, who, whose lab he took as an undergrad. Um, so there might be exceptions, you know, like some people um, might just be like really jaded people and not interested in helping you, right? But for the most part, I think teachers and bosses are, you know, are committed to the, the good of the company and so on. Um, anyway, the Bible says you should honor them. And so participating in a culture of complaining about your boss or your teacher uh, is actually false teaching. Like that's, that's bad doctrine. Uh, that will cause you to swerve away from the truth, uh, and it leads to disunity, arguments, and so on, right? Um, so guard against uh, these ideas from the culture about how you ought to relate to your teachers and how you ought to relate to your bosses. Um, okay, I took too much time talking about that one. Uh, another one I had that I thought about was um, kind of also work-related, and I was thinking about career. Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting narratives floating around out there about career. Um, one of them is that my career should be um, fulfilling for me, that I should like find fulfillment in my career. Um, and it should be interesting and engaging and exciting for me. And if it's not, I should find a different career. So it's this kind of like idea that work should be fun or cool or interesting. Um, and I don't know that it I don't know that that's actually biblical, right? Uh, it's a popular idea in our culture, and I think that that can also cause uh, some of us to go astray. Oh, another one kind of on the other side um, is uh, that I should advance my career. I should chase advancement in my career. 
um, and even if that means making concessions or sacrifices in other areas of my life. So I see this a lot in academia, um, and you may see it in your lines of work as well. Um, but in academia, standard practice is to, um, uh, you know, you start in one place, you do your undergrad in one place, you do a graduate, your first graduate degree in another place, your next graduate degree in another place, then you do a postdoc in another place, and then you take your first professor position in another place, right? Um, so you're just literally going from place to place, just jumping and ship, you know, here and there, dotting, you know, trekking across the, the country. Um, to different institutions, continuing to, at each institution, kind of going the next rung up on the ladder. I had a conversation with my dean um, a couple days ago about career stuff, and that's kind of what he said. He was like, well, it's, it's actually, you know, pretty common in academia to, you, you know, the way that you advance is by going somewhere else. And I was like, well, okay, <laughs> you know, that's like pretty broken, right? Um, for me, that's not an option. Like, I'm, I, I, would, I would say that that would be making sacrifices in other areas of my life that I'm not willing to make, right? Sacrifices in my family, sacrifices in my church um, that are not actually um, uh, appropriate for the advancement of my career. But what, what are the cultural narratives about career? Do whatever you gotta do, right? Like chase, chase your career, do, do the best you can do, be the best you can be, go wherever you need to go and do whatever you need to do to be the best at your career and make the most money that you could possibly make, right? Um, those are, I think, the, the kind of cultural, popular narratives out there about that. You gotta play the game. Yeah, you gotta play the game, right? Yeah, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in playing the game, right? Um, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, right, yes, I think that's a lot of it. It's, 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 a, it's a misunderstanding about who you are as a person. It's placing too much emphasis on your career. Right? We're more than people who do careers, where we should be. It's a very flat person. Yeah, because... Right. right, yeah, a lot of that is really competitive uh, and cutthroat, right? Uh, almost by design in some industries. And that's not, that's not um, consistent with the love of God and the love that God tells us to have for one another. Um, it's like four minutes to, to eight, is that right? Should I stop, or should we do some more? I'm, not, I'm looking at you, Matt. What's my time frame here? One more? Okay. Um, uh, so one more, I'll just say uh, entitlement. I think entitlement is another um, kind of key narrative, and it might be entitlement to any number of things. I'm entitled to, or I deserve, um, time to do my hobbies. That's one way that we might think about entitlement. I deserve accommodations, special accommodations, because something is difficult for me. I deserve X amount of money um, so that I can afford a certain standard of life, standard of living, um, X sorts of clothing brands or whatever, right? Like whatever it might be, right? I deserve to get something from Starbucks every day, right? Um, I think there's lots of ways that that entitlement idea can, can come into play. But I think what's really interesting here is that Paul is explicitly saying godliness with contentment is great gain, right? He says, um, be content with food and clothing, right? 
Um, it's, a, it's a pretty basic uh, life with which um, he admonishes us to be content. Um, so I think uh, that, that entitlement idea doesn't, doesn't really uh, drive, um, drive with the Bible here. Um, there are lots of other examples that I kind of brainstormed and I asked the hundred leaders, I texted out the hundred leaders a couple days ago and I was like, what are some false teachings that you can think of um, that might creep into the church? And there was a whole long list. Um, uh, and I think, so I guess my, in closing, um, my kind of wrap-up statement will be, I think uh, the other teachings that Paul was warning against are actually very um, subtle and uh, dangerous ideas about life together kinds of things, normal, everyday life together kinds of things, what it means to be a man in a church, what it means to be a woman in a church, um, or in your communities, uh, what it means to, um, how you ought to relate to your boss, um, how you ought to um, uh, pursue your career, interact with your career, how you ought to relate to elders, um, or take care of widows, um, how you ought to relate to authority in government or in the church, right? All of these are just very basic um, ideas. And I think what maybe troubled me about that is that uh, there are a lot of false teachings floating around out there. There are a lot of narratives in our culture about how we ought to do life in those very basic and mundane ways. Uh, and so I think my encouragement to you, or exhortation to you, from Paul, um, if I'm reading Paul correctly here, is to guard against those things. Uh, and so in home groups maybe this week, uh, one potential way that you can think about it in home groups is to identify ways that you see those other narratives popping up in your own life, um, or in the lives of your friends, in your various spaces, and come against those other narratives with the true narrative. And that true narrative is from the Word. Um, so throughout, right, um, throughout this whole text, Paul is saying over and over again, study the Word, um, be a man of the Word. The, you know, the, the true doctrine that we ought to, to teach and we ought to heed is just straight from the Word of God. So I think we, in order to guard against these false teachings and false doctrines, need to become people of the Word who are well steeped in the word. Um, and rather than getting swept up by or swerving aside um, to these vain, this vain talk or these cultural ideas, we stay steady on the word. Um, and we, we kind of combat that false teaching with the truth of the word. So I think that's it.